You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to Heart Sounds. This is the podcast where I typically recap some news highlights for the month gone by, but every now and then to mix things up, I speak with a cardiologist who also has a passion for the arts. This month, my guest is cardiologist Nazanin Mogbali of the Einstein Medical Center in Philadelphia, where she is the director of the cardiac care unit. She has a special interest in critical care cardiology, cardiovascular imaging, advanced heart failure, and women's cardiovascular health. But she is also a professional artist working with ink, charcoal, pencil, and oils to produce works whose lines borrow not only from Persian calligraphy, but also from cardiac rhythms. Her pieces have appeared in exhibitions across the United States and internationally. Originally from Iran, Nazanin emigrated as a child to the United States, where she also did her medical training. Hello, Nazanin, and welcome to the Heart Sounds podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I thought you could perhaps start by telling me a bit about your path to cardiology, but also how you juggled that alongside your interests in art and music. Sure. So I um, decided to go into cardiology mainly uh, when I was a medical student uh, doing a rotation in the CCU. I had a fantastic attending, uh, Steve Shulman at Hopkins, where I was a medical student. He had so much enthusiasm for the field of cardiology uh, that it was infectious, and it really kind of got me very interested from an early uh, stage. And so I uh, decided early on to go into cardiology. I did a primary care residency to really build my ability to uh, take kind of care of the whole patient and, and really learn internal medicine. And then I went into uh, a fellowship in cardiology and kind of along the way, I kept uh, my hand in the arts. I was an art major at Swarthmore College where I was an undergrad and I kept studying art when I was a medical student at the Maryland Institute kind of after hours uh, when I wasn't studying. And so I really had these parallel careers um, from a pretty, pretty early stage. Wow. So you have formal training in art uh, as well as in medicine. Yes. Yeah. I was really fortunate to land in a liberal arts college where I was able to really delve into art um, painting in particular and then do my pre-med requirements and uh, end up at, you know, in medical school where I continued uh, to study both. So I think uh, I credit that that liberal arts setting to really allowing me to, to deeply explore both in college. It's impressive. I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about the types of art you do. And in particular, I'd love you to tell uh, us about lines. You've made a connection in the past between the lines of an electrocardiogram and then the line of a calligrapher's pen. How does that inform your art and, and how would you explain that to our listeners? So, you know, I am extremely attracted to uh, line drawings. So I love um, line drawings. I love uh, calligraphy. I, I studied Iranian calligraphy when I was a child growing up in Iran. Uh, and my work is really infused with a very calligraphic line, which we really see everywhere. You see it in nature, in the lines of the trees. You see it in 
cardiology and the lines in the angiograms. We see it in the lines of EKGs and tele um, strips. So for me, it's both the form of these lines as well as the story they tell. So in the case of a an angiogram, the story is, you know, someone's heart attack, where did it originate? What caused it? What can we do to fix it? In the case of an electrocardiogram or a tele strip, you know, what's going on electrically inside the patient that's leading to how they are presenting, whether they present with sudden death or they present with a different type of um, arrhythmia. Uh, those line, essentially line drawings are what inform us what's going on inside the patient. So I just find that connection between the form and the existence of the line and the meaning that it gives extremely compelling and applicable to lots of different scenarios. Yeah, I can see how that makes sense visually, as you describe it, but people talk about using different parts of their brain, literally or figuratively, uh, and I'm wondering, is your artistic practice itself distinguished from your clinical work, or, or do you see them as interwoven? They're pretty separate, I would say, for the most part. I mean, I have a studio space that I rent um, in the city, uh, and, uh, you know, it's very distinct from my work environment in the hospital. So most of my hospital work is done in the CCU and in the echo lab. So I'm a, a critical care cardiologist as well as an imaging um, specialist. And so that work is very much separate from my studio work. But the content of my artwork is often, you know, inspired by some of the images I encounter in my practice. And that's kind of how they link. And then, you know, the studio work provides a respite for me to then recharge and end up back at work. Um, so it, it really, they kind of feed each other, but they're quite distinct. Yeah, I want to come back to that. I wondered though, about patient interaction, I'm guessing it does give you a bit of insights into patients who are doing different types of work than, than the medical profession, for example. Yes. So having something outside of medicine that really grounds me really helps me connect with patients. I remember in particular, I had a patient who was, you know, dying of heart failure and we offered him a left ventricular assist device and he'd already been in the hospital for so many weeks and was so exhausted and he just didn't want to undergo this life-saving procedure. And when I really kind of sat with him and talked to him, he he told me, look, I all I really want to do is go home and finish building the, the car that is in my garage. It's a vintage car and it's something I've dreamed of finishing and I just want to drive it around the block. Mm. And that just really uh, hit me because I, I related to this idea of, okay, maybe I won't live longer, but the quality of my life is really, you know, defined by this, this hobby, this thing that I love to do. And so that's where I'm aiming to go. And so it really helps me understand him and kind of what his goals were, even when everyone else was, you know, trying just to convince him to do it, um, to prolong his life. So I, I do think that it allows me uh, a window into uh, what may be driving people uh, and, and keeping them going. Yeah, that makes sense. I can hear from what you're saying and I can see from what I've seen online that it's much more than a hobby for you. For people who don't see themselves as artistic or, or don't see themselves as having a sort of artistic talent, what would you tell them about what it means to have that in your life outside of your medical practice? 
Yeah. So, you know, as you point out, it is really important for me to, you know, really acknowledge that it, this is more than a hobby for me. I really invest a lot of time and energy um, in cultivating relationships with galleries and collectors and exhibiting my work. Um, but none of that is really necessary to connecting to the art making itself. And so I think on any scale, making art or being engaged in a creative process can be so uh, rejuvenating and therapeutic. Um, and so I've actually started doing some basic drawing workshops for healthcare providers who are kind of in that boat of, well, I don't, I can't draw, or I've never tried, or I don't know where to begin and giving them, you know, one hour uh, course on, okay, here are the materials. And I send them in advance. Here's three exercises. We're going to do them together. Um, and then launching people to kind of explore their own creative practice. So it's really important to me to take what I've taken kind of to an extreme in terms of professionalizing it for myself, but saying, okay, look, how can we engage in this process on a level that's more applicable to, to more people, right? And so that's um, part of these art of engagement um, workshops that I've been, uh, you know, providing for, for providers. Yeah, I mean, having spent some time looking through your work, I, I think it's beautiful. And, and I myself don't know much about art, but I, I think that there's value in viewing and experiencing art. And then separate from that is the, the outlet of trying to create something, which I think is what you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's something there for everyone, right? So if viewing the art is the way to connect with something creative, then by all means, you know, go to museums or go to a gallery or even just look at art on the computer. Um, it can really kind of trigger our brains and, and a, in a new way. And then there's the art making, which is a whole different, um, you know, can of worms, so to speak, but offers mm -hmm. a um, and connecting to our hands and making something um, come to life with our hands, you know, is really quite remarkable. Absolutely. Has art provided, and I think I probably know the answer to this, but has it provided a refuge for you during the pandemic, given everything else that um, health professionals are going through these days and the many things they're juggling, especially if they have families at home as well? Maybe oh, you haven't had time for it. No, absolutely. Honestly, I, you know, I remember that the very first week that I was in the CCU during the first cases of um, COVID, I had a patient who was brought from the floor to the unit coding. She was kind of, you know, stopped breathing and we were resuscitating her as we walked through the halls to go to the ICU where I was taking care of her. And, you know, this was, you know, 20 people kind of helping bring this woman back or trying to resuscitate her. And, and by the time we brought her in the room and she was actually pronounced dead, um, we found out that she had had COVID. This, you know, was just unbelievable because as the director of the unit, I felt so responsible for the potential exposure of all these teammates. And I was really just very distraught, kind of not sure how to handle that responsibility and that sense of, you know, letting people down. And, you know, I wanted to go home and unwind and be with my family, but I was also scared, you know, am I taking them the virus? Am I going to not be able to focus on my kids? What's, you know, and so I stopped at my studio on the way home that night and just made a painting and just spent a couple of hours just 
working in the studio. And by the time I was done, I really kind of felt a sense of calm about the event and understood that, okay, this is early. We don't understand how to handle these situations. I'm going to, you know, reach out to colleagues throughout the country who are in the similar, um, you know, situation. I'm going to put together a protocol for handling these these codes so that my team can be safe. And so it was kind of a great example for me of how a very upsetting kind of event helped me focus and find clarity around next steps, you know, by just stepping away uh, and finding this space in my studio. I think that makes total sense. And I've, I've been envious personally of, of artists who have been able to, to take, I keep on saying refuge, but be able to sort of escape their immediate pressures of the pandemic by retreating to a studio or their piano or whatever it is. But I do think they're also creating things that offer that refuge for other people that maybe don't have that opportunity. So I'll have to tell uh, the listeners of the Heart Sounds podcast, I'm sure they would love to go to a gallery and see these works in person. But in the interim, before that's possible, where would where can they go where they can visit your work online? Sure. Yeah. So uh, my website is uh, www.nmogbelly, so my last name, M-O-G-H-B-E-L-I.com. And my Instagram handle is just at nmogbelly. Uh, that's where I keep a lot of my updated images and some studio shots and videos. And then I, my workshops you can find at art-of-engagement.org. Um, that describes the types of workshops that I offer. Amazing. Well, all of us are spending a little bit too much time on social media during the pandemic, but I have enjoyed the time I've spent on your Instagram feed. So thank you for telling us a bit about it. And uh, thank you for everything else you're doing during this time, especially fitting in time to speak with me. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's always nice to share. Thank you for tuning in to this special edition of Heart Sounds. If you are sad not to hear me recounting some of the stories we covered this past month, no need for tears and tantrums. You can find all of this and more at tctmg.com. Of course, we covered the xenotransplantation of the first genetically modified pig heart. Yael Maxwell had that story when it broke earlier this month and followed it up with a feature story examining some of the hurdles ahead for this particular patient, as well as the field as a whole. Todd Neal tuned in to the panel meeting of the U.S. CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices when it was mulling the decision to extend booster shots to younger kids. Todd then delved into an in-depth feature looking at the very rare cases of myocarditis seen in younger patients and whether these might be expected to tick upwards with boosters. Spoiler alert, not so much, but I recommend you take a look at Todd's story for the full details. Finally, we told you about the FDA approval of the new twice-yearly injectable LDL cholesterol drug in glycerin back in December. This month, TCTMD's Michael O'Reardon did some asking around to find out whether doctors are likely to start prescribing this drug, particularly since we have to wait a few more years before seeing the results of the large outcomes trial. Also in Mike's story, what this new agent will cost and how doctors can get the drug to patients. Find all of those with some judicious search terms on TCTMD. I will be back here next month with more top cardiology news. Until then, you can find me on Twitter as ShellyWood2 or drop me a line at swood at tctmd.com. Thanks for tuning into Heart Sounds.
Do you love listening to hard sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.